how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re- I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. Here I sat down with astrophysicist Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson and director Scott Hamilton Kennedy on their new documentary, Shot in the Arm, a film that explores the anti-vax movement both historically and in the angry political present. The vital account probes the divides and disinformation that threaten our future. It includes subjects like Oprah Winfrey, Dale Bigtree, Robert Kennedy Jr., and Neil deGrasse Tyson, who are on both sides of the issue. In this interview, we talk about curiosities and responsibilities as storytellers, how to approach talent for documentaries, advice for interviewers, creating trust for viewers through a subject's actions, how the two connected for this film, and the power of storytelling to affect change. Make sure to also look for clips from this conversation on my Instagram over at Brock Swenson. Uh, I've been writing most of my life, actually, and... I, I can't say I'm I, I forgot who I'm quoting by saying this that I like having written mm-hmm. because the act of writing can be quite arduous and and there's an old saying no work of writing is ever finished it only comes due mm-hmm. right so it's not without its toil but when I write it forces me to think about words word sequences rhythms sorry if you write and you're not just writing a wiki page right if you're writing to influence the emotions of the reader and or to teach them then there's got to be some acts of persuasion within the writing and so i've thought long and hard about how people think how their brains are wired what biases they might have what i might have to overcome what words to use what might trigger them but that's not my goal let me avoid those let me take another tactic all of this is going in to the writing and and then there's what's the topic i'm writing on you need an expertise on which to and and so uh in my books i write about i write in what flows from my expertise in a method and style that has i in my judgment would have maximum impact on the reader so some of your writing starts with curiosity now we're maybe moving towards a responsibility to tell some of these stories especially like this new documentary what are your thoughts about taking something very complex and making it digestible for everyone, either as reading or viewing? Well, it's one of the great things we get to do as um, as storytellers is that we can try and take these incredibly complex um, issues. Could be scientific. It could just be life's uh, the struggles of trying to live a decent life, and put them into something that makes sense and engages and. Uh, hopefully doesn't confuse and pulls a, pulls a viewer in and want to go all the way to the end of this of the film you've made. So yeah, it's a wonderful and daunting art, the art of uh, of storytelling and especially cinematic storytelling. But it's an honor, and I I love wrestling with it and hopefully trying to get better with each film. Yeah, I'll just add to that. I think uh, it's possible for a story to create places to embed information. So that when the story is told, the information gets received much more smoothly mm. and it doesn't feel like a lesson plan. 
it doesn't feel like a professor lecturing at the chalkboard or whatever they're made of today just talking and expecting you to meet them 90 percent of the way when you have a storytelling medium uh you'd be surprised how much more information can be shared in ways that do not feel heavy or burden burdensome for the viewer so i'm all in for that how did you two meet and how did this project start to come together i had nothing to do with it <laughs> there's a there's a little known science dating app just, um, <laughs> just the two of you dude, on there science, that's it. science bros science bros we'll start that you know sciencebros.com uh -huh. um I met Neil uh, very innocently in terms of trying to approach him to narrate my previous film, Food Evolution. And uh, uh, I'd seen him on a very quick backstage uh, interview with just a smartphone and two, uh, two young people had found him after a talk he'd given in France. And they said, hey, what, uh, Neil, what do you think of genetically modified foods? He said, we've been genetically modifying our foods since the beginning of time. So chill out. And I was like, oh, that might be our guy because food evolution was a reset of the conversation on GMOs, a scientific point of view on a conversation on GMOs. And sadly, there's a lot of overlap between people who are anti-GMO and anti-vaccine, especially in terms of those big institutions lie to you. Don't take, don't buy what they're selling. Look what we have over here. We have these alternatives. So um, yes, I met him. We contacted his speaking uh, agent and the agent thankfully didn't block us and uh, got us <laughs> As, it, as your agent actually was telling people this story, Neil, I bet your agent has never stopped somebody from trying to at least let you know of the offer because I don't think you play that game well at all. You understand my question? The offer. Oh, no, no. I, she shows me everything. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. Of course. Yeah. Right. I don't have other people judge what they think I'm going to be interested in. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh -huh. Same. <laughs> right. I want to ask one more about that. I'm making a documentary right now, different subject, but from, okay. from two perspectives, tell me a little more about your approach to looking for talent. And then Neil, like uh, when someone, someone reaches out to you, what may, is it just the, 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 the subject? Is there something else? Is there a certain way people should do that? Um, I, I, tell, I tell you exactly. And swift, swiftly, I try to do things only if I think I can contribute uniquely to the task hmm. if i think 10 other people can do it i don't need to do it and i encourage them to find somebody else and I, i'm not talking about maybe i can do it just a little better than somebody else not good enough i have to do it uniquely hmm. where no one else can do it and then i'm more likely to say yes and it has to uh, i i lean towards positive change in progressive thinking in the world so the project has to be in the direction of progressive thinking and science literacy hmm. so if it's not that find somebody else be being part of the solution more than the problem yeah yeah fair enough so yeah no well casting is uh is is such a huge part of making a documentary so um uh, oh, by yeah, the way, just quickly, my, yeah. my my astrophysics chops is what Scott values in my role as my educator chops is what Scott values in my role as script consultant. My visibility is what he values as in my role as executive producer. Okay, excellent. 
So okay. specifically to like uh, how I pick a subject and then then can try and make it into a documentary is um, could be an idea, could be an event, could be something that's going on. Uh, if it's an idea, then I need to find the people under that idea because people don't watch movies about ideas. They watch movies about people. Um, and then in casting, I want to find people that are obviously inherently knowledgeable in the subject that we're, that, that we're dealing with and that they have uh, charisma, they have good communication skills. And then you also want to have different types of people, like somebody that's maybe a little bit funnier, somebody that might be a little bit more spicy, you know, they bring different flavors to it. And of course, then you also have your quote unquote heroes and villains or people that in case of our, the shot in the arm, people that are telling the verifiable truth the best to their best abilities and trying to be part of the solution and people that are manipulating the truth um, to the point of possibly even lying and uh, the damage they can do. And I want you want to have both of those in there because now you have tension and variety and excitement and allowing people to come to their own conclusions about those people I said that were manipulating the truth. I'm not going to tell you as I'm oversimplifying on this interview, I want you to see through their actions if you should trust them. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, a lot of documentaries, they become uh, preacher platforms, you know, mm-hmm. where the they're over narrated and if they don't have content. The the director steps in and and delivers. And, and this is all done by. And, and well, yeah, Scott's in it um, because it was during COVID and he's on lockdown. And so he and his family end up starring in the film. But it's not about them. It's about the ideas that are captured in the storytelling and the the fact that he's not telling you what you should think about Del Bigtree and RFK Jr. The context of the story is doing that communicating itself. And the story is the sequence of narrative moments by the sequence of, of, of interviews by, like you said, um, Scott, I hadn't thought about how much thought one could put into this, but clearly you did, that the different characters in it, I call them characters, they all have very different personalities and different moods and tones. And and so that makes for visual variation and auditory variation throughout, which keeps my attention because it's going to be different in the next few minutes than it was in the past few. People try to distinguish between, you know, documentary storytelling and nonfiction storytelling, I'm sorry, and fiction storytelling. Um, and there's obviously some elements that you can distinguish between the two of them, but I go more along the lines of Tony Bennett talking about music and he says, I'm not great impersonator, but he says something along the lines of people talk about all different styles of music and it's like hip hop or bebop and jazz and classical, all these different things. And I say, there's only two kinds of music. It works or it doesn't. And that's my feeling about great storytelling. I don't care what genre you're working in. If you're in But didn't he say it either moves you or it doesn't? Not that I it works or it works, doesn't. But it could be, it could be I, I like works better because it's so clean. But Look, I had him on my podcast. I think he yeah. said it doesn't move you. Okay. This is from a doc, this is from a documentary where he sp- said it specifically. And the other one was very funny, Neil. As he said, somebody asked him, Who's your favorite female vocalist? And all he said was, You mean, you mean after Ella? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Scott, tell me about, you know, sometimes documentary filmmakers have a direction they're going in, they're capturing a story. You started about measles. Obviously, it very much changed. Tell me a little bit about 
moving with things and learning what the story was as you went along. And then how do you possibly narrow all that down to an hour and a half? Oh my goodness. So yes, the, the, the beauty and horror of making, of choosing to be a documentary storyteller. And I love the art so much, uh, but it is not for the weak, the weak willed. Um, you need to be um, hopefully flexible and open um, to where the story is going to go. Uh, trust and serendipity, which is not, um, that's dangerous, but go it, on. Is, it is. It's. Da- I, I mean, like I was waiting for you to jump in on that. It's. It is. Um, of course, it's not magic, right? And fate is not. It's not. Is not a real thing. But there are. It's. It's a. It's a trust in the. Oh, let's call it the trust in the repetition, of, of of life, right? So that if I feel I missed a moment, it's going to happen again in some form. I miss the kiss between the two lovers. There's going to be something that happens at another time. So that's some, that's some might even be better than the first one you would conceive. Correct. Right. Right. So there's, Mm -hmm. and then there's just faith. It's a, maybe I'll use a surfing metaphor. There's faith in riding that wave and that wave pitches on and goes in a different direction on you. That like, well, I'm going to figure this out. Either I'm going to keep riding or I'm going to be able to dive off and survive the wave and not die. And that you have to be fluid and where the story takes you, hopefully fluid, because there's some people that will try to grab the story and say, you're going to force you to come to this way. That is my point of view. And usually some form of confirmation bias. I try to fight that while I have a point of view on what is verifiably true and what isn't. And I have a point of view on, I am more hopeful than I am cynical. I want to wrestle with all the spectrums of this human condition through the course of the storytelling. And you both have done a ton of interviews, um, but as the interviewer, um, any misconceptions about being an interviewer, anything that's changed about your style, your research, the way you have conversations with people? I hope I've become a better listener, right? Because you're so, maybe as a young filmmaker, you're so nervous about getting it that you're like, I have my questions. If I don't get this question, I'm not going to have it in the editing room. And, you know, there's more of a, a relaxed quality of, Sometimes I'll ask the, the same, I'll have the same question written in different ways on a piece of paper to ask it a few times to make sure you get to it. And also, but but trusting in, I've done my research, I've written these questions, I've followed the questions, now let's have a conversation and trust in that conversation that it's going to go to interesting places and make people feel that you're really, really listening. You're not just trying to grab information from them. You are trying to engage them in a conversation about these complex issues. I feel similarly with my podcast in the early days, I I was talking way too much mm. uh, and I'd listen to them and I say, I barely heard the person who was there to be interviewed. And I don't think it was a matter of ego so much as I, I didn't really know mm. but just because I have something to add. I can add it at any time. This, this person is here this one day and this one hour. Mm. And so I needed, like there was more maturity than ego i think that had me realize just shut up and uh, i'm the only way you no one ever learned anything while they were talking right so so let me be silent while this person talks and give them the birth they need that they deserve and and then i move on I, i i i'll i'll slip up every now and then but basically i it's in it's in it's in my mind for every episode 
Now you touched on this a little bit. I was expecting to see a ton of producer credits. They've done 75 episodes of star talk, but what led you to be the EP of shot in the arm? Like what really stood out about it? You to take on that role as well. Yeah. I, I think Scott realized that uh, the resonance between me and the film is that we're both trying to put some sensible, rational, uh, absorbance of science into the public get that out there in whatever way is possible so that's the, in the venn diagram of the two of us there's a very strongly overlapping point of intersection and also noticing that i have a significant significant relative to scott i have significant um social media presence and scott how many facebook followers did you have like really, Neil. other than your mom, you know, really, you know, yeah, I'm calling you out. So, <laughs> so, but what it meant was Scott was busy making films and not building a social media presence, which is itself an entire activity unto itself. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it, it is an activity unto itself. So, so uh, he realized, I think, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he realized that my visibility, my access to major media outlets would bring a level of attention and sort of luminosity to the film that wouldn't otherwise be there for a film this important um i would be irresponsible if i did not agree and i would be full of crud if i didn't say i, I enjoy trying to ride on this wonderful man's coattails <laughs> what about so you know, there's a lot of heated debate around uh, the film, the everything that's been happening the last couple of years, what have you two both learned from the film, like doing the film or being involved with it that maybe surprised you? Hmm. I go quick on that. I would say I had not appreciated the depth of the value of storytelling. Hmm. Uh, did I say that right? Uh, my My valuation of storytelling became that much deeper with working with Scott in this film. That's, I'll, I'll did that answer your question? Yeah, but go ahead, tell us, I'm, I'm actually curious, what, what do you mean? By the power of storytelling. No, no, I just, just, a story is fun to listen to. We all love stories, but I hadn't really appreciated how much can be successfully embedded in a story to affect change rather than, Oh, that was a nice story. What's, what's next? No, it's like, Oh my gosh, look what just, uh, you know, I was, I was hit with a brick, not a brick, a soft brick, but I was hit. I was struck by yeah, yeah. the story, the messaging, the imagery, the music, the, the, the emotion, the humanity of it. Mm. I, I wasn't, I didn't know that a story could really pack that, depth of a punch so that's where that's my bit of education on this uh let's i guess what i uh, the two tiers of what i learned was one it's very hard to do the right thing as a as a human being to wake up in the morning and strive for the potential of what you ever what you want to do as a science communicator as a filmmaker as a father as a podcaster and you know do the things you hope to succeed at and it's hard to stick to hold that line and not be pulled off by greed or baggage or ego and all these different things. <clears throat> Yet at the same time, I'm also, and the film, the film did this for me. Um, 
I am in awe of the potential of us, the, the great potential of us as human beings to do just beautiful, amazing, healing, selfless things. And so, yeah, the wrestling with those two was definitely in the end of the film. Um, and, but hopeful, the film has a, has a hopeful healing quality to it. And we've seen that in the response. And it didn't have to, but it does. And it's not even gratuitous. It's like authentically hopeful. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.